but in the present moment and being engaged in the moment, everything's all right. Welcome to the Drew Perlman Show. Think of this podcast as the antidote to the fear, the noise, and the talking heads in the news. The show features an entertaining blend of ancient wisdom, empowering ideas, and cutting-edge, healthy living science to optimize your health and your life. So let's dive in and get started. Today's guest on the show is my good friend Steve Gross. Steve is a clinical social worker and a pioneer in the field of using playful engagement and relationships to overcome the devastating impact of early childhood trauma. He is also the founder and chief playmaker of the Life is Good Kids Foundation. Welcome to the show, Steve. Drew, thanks, man. I appreciate being here. Steve, can you start by telling folks about your background as a clinical social worker and how you discovered the power of play? Well, you know... um... I discovered the power of play probably the same time everyone discovers the power of play when I was a little kid. And, uh, you know, you just find when you are fully engaged, you know, when you really think about play, it's a time where, number one, you're fully engaged in something. It's allowing you to be fully present in a moment. And in that time, not just engaged in that moment, you feel powerful, you feel safe, you feel in control. And during that time, you also feel some sense of pleasure and purpose or joy. And in a lot of these times, you're connected. You're connected to something bigger than yourself. Even if you're playing by yourself, usually you got some imagination or fantasy where you're connecting. Um, my favorite play experiences were always play experiences with somebody else. So, you know, I think I really discovered that piece at first when we all discover it, when we're kids. And then I discovered it again or re- rediscovered it when I was a summer camp counselor and then in the 80s. And you'd see kids who were struggling, whether they were struggling to make friends, they were struggling with self-esteem, they were struggling to take risks. And you can just talk to the kids and, you know, just kind of talk them through it. You had to be able to interact and, and engage with them in a way where they started to get a felt experience that, hey, I can do it. And hey, I can make friends. And hey, I am powerful and capable. And I do see and experience and feel pleasure. You know, I always like the Bob Marley quote, who feels it, knows it. And I just really discovered that play was just the perfect vehicle for building, healing, life-changing relationships with kids. That if you just talked to them, it wasn't going to happen. But if you played and had a felt experience, then you could kind of talk about that and learn from it. Well, there's lots of fear in the world right now. What, what would you tell people listening to the show that are really feeling that fear? Well, first thing I would tell them is I'm feeling it right along with you. Um, you know, I, uh, you know I'll, I'll, I'm, I'm not one to shy away from self-disclosure. So just like everybody else, um, the pandemic and the unrest in our country takes a toll. We feel increased levels of stress. You know, I just recently lost my dad, who was my role model and best friend, um, you know, less than a month ago. Um, and there's a lot of uncertainty in everything. And are we gonna, are kids going to go back to school? Am I going to have a job? What's going to happen to the economy? What's going to happen to our country? And so you don't need the absence of fear to be able to play and experience optimism. Sometimes it's during those times where you feel least interested in playing, that you kind of push yourself to do it. 
And so I think one of the things that I would tell people is, hey, man, it's normal to be anxious. It's normal to be afraid. There's a lot to be afraid about. And while having that feeling, can we then focus on something else that allows us to be engaged in the moment, that allows us to be connected to others, that allows us to feel safe, um, to feel good about who we are, and that allows us to feel and experience joy in that moment. Because really, fear and anxiety, oftentimes, you know, it comes from, number one, worrying about what's going to happen next. In the moment, we're all okay. I mean, right now, in the moment, I'm standing on the floor. I'm actually, you know, out my window right now. I'm not at my house, but I can see the ocean. It's a beautiful day. It's a summer day. I'm, I'm well. So in the moment, everything is just fine. Where the fear starts coming in is when I start imagining and projecting what's going to happen tomorrow, what's going to happen 15 minutes from now. Sometimes the fear comes back when I, when I reflect on the past and I start thinking about past hurts or past losses or past traumas. But in the present moment and being engaged in the moment, everything's all right. And so in that moment, are we willing to engage in something that brings about connection and joy? And sometimes even, and I know it sounds counterintuitive, but sometimes you got to just force yourself. Sometimes I got, you got to force yourself because you're feeling lousy. And then when you force yourself, you're like, you know, you find something that you're willing to do. Like for me, I'll give you an example. Um, yesterday, man, I woke up and I felt a pit, an emptiness, like in my belly. I miss my dad. I felt anxious about some stuff. And I was doing some work and I said, you know what? I got to get out. And I grabbed my bicycle and I headed to the mountain. You know, we got a little mountain not far from my house and I mountain biked. And even while I was mountain biking, I, my mind was racing. I had all sorts of stuff going through my mind, but I was like, hey, no, I got to be here now. Let me smell the woods. Let me see the trees. Let me feel the wind. Let me try to divert my attention from my kind of worried, chattering mind and engage in some play. And, and again, play is, is really not just about what you do. It's the spirit and intention with which you do everything that you do. So I consider it play, man, when you're focused and you're in the moment, when you're experiencing some level of pleasure and purpose, when you feel some connection, whether to nature or to others, and that you feel safe and empowered in that moment. It's going to be different things for different people. But for me on that day, it was riding my bicycle. Did it make the fear go away? Nah. You know, maybe for a little bit, you might come back to it. But in that moment, we are living and we are healing. And so, you know, I think that that piece is, hey, it's okay to be afraid. And we can go on and play anyway. Um, and, and deciding what that thing for you is going to be that's going to fill you up. It's going to give you a sense of pleasure. It might be where you go, hey, mountain bike, that's the last thing I want to do. But I want to garden. Hey, maybe gardening is your play. Or, hey, you know what? I want to take a walk. I want to wash my car. Maybe washing your car is your play. Because, again, it's not about what the task is. It's about the intentionality. When I'm washing my car, I feel a sense of pleasure and purpose. When I wash my car, I feel, you know, a sense of engagement in the moment. I feel, you know, that I'm doing something that's moving me forward. And, hey, if I'm doing it with somebody else or I'm feeling a connection, I'm doing it with my kids. Well, hey, then I got that connection piece. Steve, thank you, and I'm very sorry about your dad. Oh, thanks, man. You know, he lived a long life, 91 years intellectually. You know, you can say what a blessing and what a, you know, what a great life he had. But, you know, the, the heart isn't intellectual. 
And so the emotions and the, and the loss you feel, but I will tell you, it's those, those moments where you say, you know what, I'm going to play, I'm going to engage in life. And if I may, Drew, I had a, a really interesting story. At least I think it's interesting. When I was, um, I was working in Turkey, um, after some earthquakes in 2000, 2010, and part of the intervention for kids who had survived the earthquake was a play-based curriculum that they were implementing at schools. And so the teacher was trying to set the kids up to do a play activity. And one of the kids, who were older kids, raised their hand and said, why are we doing this? Don't you understand there was an earthquake? A lot of us lost our family members. We lost our homes. We lost so much. And don't you know that we live on a fault line and that we could have another earthquake tomorrow? Why are we playing games? And the teacher, who was very wise, she took a glass of water, put it on a table, and she said, you know, because that creates a very primitive seismograph. You can look to see if the water's shaking. And she asked the classroom to come and assemble the kids in the class and said, is the earth shaking now? And they looked at the water and they noticed the glass was still and they said no. And so the teacher said, well, listen, I know what happened in the past and that we have great losses and I had losses too and you all had losses. And I also know that we don't know what's going to happen in the future. But right now, in this moment, when the earth is still, I invite you to play. You don't have to. But if you're ready, if you're willing to play in this moment, I invite you. And she did it as an invitation because I think play always has to be an invitation. I think you can't mandate joy. When those kids started playing, some decided they were going to watch. But sometimes then when they watched and they saw the energy and the laughter, they couldn't help but to join in. And I think that's a very powerful metaphor that, you know, the moment is powerful. And that's the time when we have to choose or decide that um, we're willing to put the energy out to play. How does the power of gratitude fit into your work? I think gratitude, you know, Michael Franti, who's an amazing musician and artist. If you, if you guys don't know Michael Franti, you got to look up his music because he's incredible. But he talked about gratitude like anything else. If you want to be good at it, you got to practice it. So if you want to be good at the cello, you better practice your cello. If you want to be good at shooting free throws, you better practice shooting free throws. Well, if you want to be good at gratitude, you got to practice gratitude. And gratitude is really about appreciation for the things that you have that you didn't necessarily earn. I mean, there's gifts all around us. And sometimes we overlook them because we're focused on the things that we wish we had more of. And so I could look and, and, and say, oh, my gosh, you know, we got this COVID, um, we, you know, can't go to work. We've got all these issues, this racial, you know, there's a problem of race and, and, and equality in our country. And those are real things. And gratitude isn't about ignoring those things. But gratitude is about saying, hey, with those things, what do we have? See, we have people we don't we don't lose sight of the things that we appreciate that we didn't necessarily earn. So there are great people out in the world. We didn't earn that there are doctors and scientists and hundreds of thousands of people working, you know, diligently trying to find a cure for this. That, hey, just the fact that I can watch the news means I got eyes that work. I mean, come on now. If I can hear the news, I got ears that work. I didn't earn those eyes. I didn't earn those ears. So it's about tuning in and actually appreciating the things that you got. You know, I was thinking about with Cole, I was like, hey, I'm in my house. I have a freaking house. Now I earned some of that, but a lot of it was breaks, man. And I got electricity. I got Wi-Fi. I don't even know how the hell that works. 
but somehow I can stay connected on my computer and I can talk to people and there's people working in grocery stores so I can have food. And so I don't lose sight and I take extra time to think about and maybe acknowledge and write down the things that we're grateful for. And again, it's a practice. I don't want to sound preachy. I know I I complain as much as anybody, but taking some time to say, hey, you know what? I know things seem out of control. Let me stop and let me look back and let me think of the things that I'm grateful for. And if I can think of the things that I'm grateful for, well, the fact that I have a mind that's still capable of thinking is amazing. I can be grateful. I can be sad that I lost my dad and I can be grateful that I had 53 years with him. I can be grateful that I had time to say goodbye to him. I can be grateful that my mom and my sister and my brother are still well and that we can mourn together. And sometimes we have to take a little bit of extra time because we have a negativity bias as human beings. The things that bother us, that frighten us, that make us feel angry, scared, lonely, they tend to make more noise because they're threatening to us. And so we pay attention. Um, Rick Hansen, amazing psychologist, said that our mind is like Velcro for negative information and Teflon for positive. And so we notice the things that scare us a little bit and upset us a little bit. And then we sometimes just forget about the things that we're really grateful for. My dad used to always say, nobody wakes up in the morning and yawns and says, thank God I don't have a toothache unless they went to bed with a toothache. And if they went to bed with a toothache and it was really bad, you'd say, oh, I'd give anything not to have this toothache. But we don't wake up sometimes and appreciate those things until they're gone or until they're compromised. You know, we don't notice the Wi-Fi until it stops working. And, and at Life is Good, we like to say one other thing, you know, instead of one little simple trick is instead of saying I have to, say I get to. Instead of saying, oh, I have to go to work today, I can't believe it, saying, I get to go to work today. I get to have a job. Oh my God, I have to do laundry. No, I get to do laundry. The fact that I'm doing laundry means I have clothes. Oh, I can't believe it. I, you know, I, I have to pick up my kids at daycare. No, you get to pick up your kids. Because the fact that you have to pick up your kids at daycare means that you have children and they live in an environment where they actually can go to school and be cared for. So it's a practice of changing that lens. And, and sometimes we have to set aside time. I mean, there's been a lot of studies saying that even taking, you know, five minutes or 10 minutes at the end of the day, keeping a gratitude journal, writing down two or three things that you feel grateful for, try that for, you know, try to do three things you're grateful for every day for a couple of weeks and see how, you know, how that makes you feel. Because I once saw a bumper sticker that said, if you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. And, um, you know, if we can look at life with a lens of gratitude instead of all the things that we wish we had and we didn't, I think we'll be happier Uh, because really misery is wanting things to be different than they are. And there's a piece in gratitude about acceptance and appreciation. For anyone listening, Steve, who is feeling powerless and hopeless about their life and their future, what would be one thing that they can do today to begin to take their life in a new direction? Okay. <clears throat> well, first thing that I, I, I would, and I hope you all listen because we're all in the same boat and every person suffers like that. So I think that first thing would be that all feelings are temporary. All feelings are temporary. When we're on the top of the world and we feel like we got life by the whatever you, and you feel fantastic, you know that this too shall change. 
and one day you'll come back down. And that when you feel at the depth of despair, you know that this too shall change because we're not going to stay there. I think that's a really important thing about, you know, an understanding and making sure that we have hope, especially if we're feeling really lousy. The other thing that I would do is to make a plan. And, you know, my, you know, a counselor of mine once said, failing to plan is planning to fail. So if we were to look at those four buckets that I talked to you about earlier, joy, social connection. The third one is a sense of what I'll call internal control right now. And the fourth one, active engagement. I would ask yourself four questions, maybe even take some, take some time, write this down. Say, what have I done or what can I do to increase joy in my life? What are things that bring me joy? You think about those things. Maybe it's, you know, walking in nature. Okay, I'll write that down. Maybe it's writing. Maybe it's getting lost in a good book. Whatever that is, write down some of those things that you do that you know bring you joy and make a commitment that, hey, even if it's just for 10 minutes, I'm going to try to do one of those things. Maybe two. For social connection. Who are the people that I, when I connect with them, I feel better about myself and better about life and I know that they love me. And it may not be a long list, but is there somebody on there? Is there a couple of people on there in that thing that we call a short list where you can write down those names of people who make you stronger, that make you feel better just when you're in their presence? And then make a commitment that sometime today, I want to connect with that person. I'm going to reach out to that person, let them know, hey, you made my short list and I need you right now. So I'd love to grab coffee. Yeah, because you're social, social distancing, of course, you know, maybe we can take a social distance walk or a physical distance walk because we don't want to distance socially. We just want to distance physically, you know, and maybe it's just getting on a Zoom call or a Facebook, you know, or just, you know, or just a regular telephone call. The third thing is control. What are the things that I can do that will help me to feel strong and balanced? Now, that might be taking a shower. That might be taking a walk, getting some exercise. That might be eating a nourishing meal. That might be hydrating. But what are those things that when you do feel strong and balanced? And if you feel like, hey, I need some help, maybe it's looking for some help. Maybe it's calling your primary care doctor and saying, hey, I'm really struggling emotionally. Uh, I'd love a referral of somebody I might be able to talk to. Maybe it's mindfulness and meditation. But what are those things that you can do right in this moment? Simple things to feel strong and balanced. Sometimes it's as simple as getting up and making your bed. And then the last one is active engagement. What is something that I can do to get engaged in in this moment? What can I do right now? I know for me, man, sometimes just straightening up. Just going to do some laundry. Just got just to do something. And getting engaged in life. Because intentional engaged activity is kind of one of the best, um, best ways to combat that kind of feeling of despair and stress. Because usually that's when we're just really kind of engaged in our mind internally. And so sometimes engaging with the outside world um, is really helpful. And just by making that plan, what do I need to bring more joy in my life? Who are the people I want to connect with? What do I need to do to feel strong and balanced? What are the things that I can do to feel engaged and inspired? And just chip away at it. Do, do as much as you can tolerate, even if you got to grit your teeth a little bit to do it. Um, because I think when we're engaged, when we feel empowered, when we're connected, when we feel joy, our body naturally heals. It's not necessarily easy to do. And, but I would also recommend, if people, you know, depending on people feeling really bad, making sure to reach out and get yourself some help. 
because we need each other. People are losing it right now. All this isolation, all this worry. We have a heightened kind of epidemic right now of anxiety and depression, knowing that you're not alone and knowing that we can come together and we can get through this together um, is really, really important. We can't lose our hope. And this will pass. I don't know when, but coronavirus will be in the rearview mirror sometime. And I think we will evolve and get better and we will become better as a country. That may take a while too. But how do we find the eye of the hurricane so that even while this stuff is going on, we can still find moments of peace and play and pleasure? If you had the opportunity to travel back in time, say 40 years, what words of wisdom might your current self share with your younger self? Well, I think the first thing I would tell the younger Steve is that, you know, true happiness and joy will not be found from material things and outside things. It won't be about how nice your car is, how big your house is, what toys you have that the most important thing is feeling good about the person you are. And I would ask that, Steve, to think about that the only thing that really freaking matters in life is the kindness and love that you share with others. The some things that I sometimes regret is, you know, when I was in school sometimes, man, you know, maybe you have your own insecurity. Maybe you see somebody who, you know, is kind of strange to you. And maybe, you know, I always had a good sense of humor, but sometimes my humor was actually aggressive because it might be putting somebody down. And I might not have been as kind, I know I wasn't as kind as I would be if I could learn that lesson now. I wouldn't have a joke at somebody else's expense. You know, and I still love to joke, but it's not at somebody else's expense. You know, I learned that self-deprecating humor was much better. Um, and that it was not worth a laugh to put somebody down. And so I would really be very mindful of the words that I use in communicating with people, the things that I do when somebody asks for help, I would share generously of my time. I would share of, you know, the things that I had more and I would make sure to treat people as kindly as possible because in the end, that's what matters. I learned that from, from being with my dad when he died. All that, you, all that matters in the end is the love and kindness that you've shared with people. And the quality of a person's life is in direct proportion to the quality of their relationships. And those relationships, big and small, that's your mom, that's your, your loved ones, your spouse, your partner, but it's also the person who does your dry cleaning. It's also the person who valet parks your car. It's also the person who brings you coffee and toast at the diner. Can you treat everyone in those moments with a sense of love? Um, because that's the recipe for a happy life. All right, Steve, thank you so much. Thank you for listening to The Drew Perlman Show. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. In the words of the old Chinese proverb, the best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago. The second best time is now. So here's to getting started today, right now. Living with awareness, living with intention, and living with purpose. Stay well, everyone.